This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for being a patron over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Welcome to the Tome, a D and D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley. And in this episode, number three hundred nine, we're going to sit down in a quiet library and study, right? Study. Yeah. As we discuss. Wizards! I've been doing a lot of sitting quietly in libraries and studying these days, so <laughs> it's become a major part of my life. Uh, joining us in this episode is our co-host from the Tome Show Book Club, Eric Paquette. Hello, hi everyone. And also joining us, uh, the Tome Show social media manager, Ishmael Alvarez. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back. This is Eric continuation of our class series examining each class in depth and since our patrons over at patreon.com slash the term show helped point us to the order of the last few classes this is a good time to thank them for their support special thanks go out to keith bryan jill sanders leonard pelletier jeremiah mccoy doug palmer and christopher casti thanks for being there for us and thanks for helping us figure out what you'd like to hear next Next up, we're going to do a look at the rest of the wizard subclasses since in this episode we're only looking at the core of the class plus abjuration Conjuration and Divination. All right, so now it is time to sit down with our scrolls and tomes, huh? get it, tomes, to talk about <laughs> uh, wizards. So um, as we tend to do, we don't have our, our resident class historian with us tonight, unfortunately. Brandis couldn't make it um, for this recording, but hopefully he'll be here for the next one. Uh, that said... I feel like wizards are going to be a pretty easy history to go through. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but wizards have been a core class uh, since the beginning of the game. Um, they've more or less worked the same since the beginning of the game. If there's been any major changes, I feel like it's been with 5th edition, and even those are fairly minor tweaks. Um, you know, wizards have a, have a storied history. Where, where, where did the wizards of D&D, where were they inspired from? Where did they come from? Who has an idea? Well, Real uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to take a guess, I would say, you know, you, you can go back as far as Merlin uh, and the King Arthur stories. I think mm -hmm. we spoke briefly about him in maybe the uh, Druid episode, if I'm mm. remembering correctly. Um, and even though he has some more druidic influences, everyone remembers him, obviously, as a wizard. He's kind of the most famous, mm. uh, if you will, of the wizards. And I think that a lot of the things that he does um, kind of fall in line with what people think of when they think uh, wizards. Uh, but then you have uh, other obvious, you know, famous examples like uh, uh, Gandalf, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, kind of delving into D&D's... Um, quasi uh satanic past you have other questionable characters like uh what is it uh is it alistair crowley i'm thinking of hmm. i'm not no, sure alistair, alistair crowley is a historical uh person who's very involved in paranormal hmm. but uh, one thing that specific to dnd would be the works for jack vance mm -hmm. which inspired the magic using of be able to memorize the energy of a spell, and once you consume it, it wipes it off from your mind, and you have to re-energize that energy in your mind. Which is really uh, much more relevant, I think, to how wizards have worked for the previous four editions. I feel like fifth edition has has made Vancean magic uh, has walked away a little bit from Vancean magic to make things a little more flexible. Like you can sort of squint and see the elements of it still there, but it's it feels different now. Yeah. And, and Eric, have you read Jack Vance's books? I have not. It's okay. on my list of to read at some point, but sure. I have not read. So. Yeah, it's one of those one of those uh, things that you know everybody talks about the how Jack Vance and Vancean magic is such a 
in, integral part of the history of D&D. But it's hard to find people that have actually read <laughs> Jack Vance's books. So, <laughs> well, so and, and yeah, so... No. So yeah, it's it's funny because you have some iconic wizards, right? You have Merlin, you have uh, Gandalf, who are probably the two most iconic wizards uh, in in literature that inspired. Like this is why D anD D needs to have a wizard class, and yet, as you kind of alluded to, Ishmael or, or said outright, um, I don't know that either. If if I look at Merlin as he's typically depicted and as I look at Gandalf as he shows up in the movies and in the books I don't know that I would call either of them a wizard in D&D now obviously in the lore of their worlds or whatever sure um, but in terms of a D&D class I don't think I would stat either of them as a wizard no and I, I would totally agree uh, they don't fit the mold of what a D&D wizard is um, really and like like I had mentioned, Merlin definitely has a lot of more druidic influence, mm-hmm. obviously because of the Celtic inspiration kind of mm-hmm. that went into the, the King Arthur stories and then Gandalf. Um, I know that there was a big uh, divergence from like uh, Tolkien-esque stories into what D&D ended up being. Uh, and so they, they tried not to, to stick too close to what all of that was. But you see Gandalf like wielding a sword and, and riding a horse and, not really doing any kind of like wizardy memorization, like yeah, studying well, that power kind of stuff. And and memorization aside, Gandalf isn't really known for throwing a lot around a lot of flashy spells like wizards do. Very true. You know, I think if you if you go through and look carefully, you can find maybe a handful of times that Gandalf actually like uses magic, right, to cast a spell or whatever. <laughs> yes, we we have a, a joke with uh, one of my friends who really loves Lord of the Rings. And we're like, yeah, Gandalf's not really, I mean, he dual wields and, and he kind of uh, does all these. He's really more of a ranger, really. And we just kind of get <laughs> our friend's goat that way and uh-huh. he just kind of grumbles a little bit, but uh-huh. he can't really rebuke. Maybe he's a bard giving inspirational speeches <laughs> and, and the well, like. In, that stands to reason. <clears throat> for, sorry, for Gandalf, the, the world is magical. And he is very subtle in his application of powerful magic to make it look like it is the natural world that is applying it when it's actually him manipulating the environment itself mm. to make that effect, which is very much of a wizard type thing to do. Sort of. Um, it reminds me a lot of the old uh, White Wolf game. Uh, uh, was it Mage the Apocalypse? Mage the uh, Awakening. Awakening. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes. It was Werewolf was the Apocalypse, right? Uh, yes. But yeah, right. made, made the awakening where magic basically worked that way. The, 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 you had to sort of work within the confines of reality to, to make your spells. Cause if you went too far afield, then reality would like get pissed off at you for, for yes. breaking yeah. things, you know? But if, you know, if it wasn't a fireball, if it was, there was a gas main near them and you made it blow up, then that's, that works, you know? Yeah. Correct. So, so it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like, Gandalf gives us a lot of what a wizard is in D&D, but not the part of where that it's most iconic about wizards in the, in the casting of spells, right? He wears the right outfit, the robes and the pointy hat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he carries around a staff. He's way smarter than everybody else and everybody knows it, right? You know, he, he's got the personality. He's got the wardrobe. He's so iconic uh, of informing us what a, how a wizard is acts and looks in a game um except for the spell casting part which yes. is which is honestly the most iconic thing about a wizard now i mentioned earlier that wizards have basically been around and more or less unchanged since the beginning of the game i guess that's not exactly true because wizards weren't a thing until third edition that's a good point. Until third edition, they were called specifically magic users. Is that not the case? Yeah. No, they're. I mean, because in second edition they called them wizards, but they split, split it off between mages and specialists. And the specialist mm-hmm. was like the abjurer, illusionist. Right, right. So, because they, in second edition there was different. But yes, in the class was called in, magic user. Yeah, D and D was called magic user. And in D&D and AD&D first edition, then wizard with a subclass of mage and the specialist names. Okay, yeah. And Which, then... And then what? 
and I believe in third edition was called it was called uh, it was called uh, it, that it was called a, a wizard. Yeah, in third edition it became the wizard because because in my sort of estimation, what happened was through second edition, but especially by the end, they were adding some different options for the wizard and then or for the the magic user and then by third edition they're like okay well these have really started feeling like different things and so they took the spell point version of wizards and made sorcerers and they took the sort of classic mages and made wizards right um and mage was the shorthand for magic user um for people who aren't familiar with the the bygone era of D &D. um which led to the interesting thing of uh, one of the books where uh, when they were doing during a period where they were going from mage to wizard as, as a title for one of the books you the Inscultia Magica which has a bunch of magic items you mm-hmm. can or is or is it a wizard spell compendium I'm not sure but you can see instead of damage you saw the wizard because someone did a final replace ah Yep. So, so, oh yeah, I can see. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, um, there's a story in history, but the wizard of all of the classes has, feels like it's gone through the least amount of change over time. Like if you played a wizard in, or a mage in first edition and you played a wizard in fifth edition, you basically still understand the mechanics more or less. You just got to pick up the few extra new things. Right. Um, with the the, twe- the the biggest thing being the tweaks to the way spellcasting works. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, like like was mentioned, uh, older school wizards used this Vancian magic. You had to memorize specific spells, and then you could cast those specific spells. And once you've cast them, then you can't cast them again until you've gone and memorized it again. Uh, and so it's a, it's a one and done. And it required a lot of really thoughtful planning. Like the wizard had the most options in terms of spell casting. Like they could cast the most variety of spells, whatever they could squeeze in their spell book. The, the world was their oyster. Um, and that makes them sort of the Swiss army knife of, of classes. But you had to, each day, you kind of had to have an idea of what you were getting into and what spells you would need to have prepared. Um, because who knows, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to run into. So it, it ran into a lot of situations where basically wizards would either take the things that they know are always going to be, be universally helpful, like, you know, damage spells, fireballs and magic missiles and that kind of stuff. Or um, they do delve into some of the more eclectic things and half the time they never get used and they get to the end of the day and that spell slot was a waste. Yeah, and um, for that reason, a lot of people likened wizards to Batman. They're like, okay... You give Batman enough time to prep, he can take down anyone. And they would say the same thing. Like, give a wizard enough time. Like, as long as they know what spells to prepare, they'll Uh beat you down. Sure, I Because they'll have exactly the same tools to... Or, I'm sorry, exactly the right tools for the job. Yeah. Yeah, and so... And we'll talk about how it's a little bit different now in in 5th edition in a second. But first, I want to ask my my last sort of introductory question before we get into the, the crunch here. Uh, why should somebody play a wizard? Like we've kind of danced around some of the aspects of a wizard, but why of all the things out there, whether it's be story based or mechanical based or whatever, why do you think somebody should be, be interested in, in picking up the wizard class? I like to, to play the wizard for being able to manipulate the battlefield, have a bird's eye view and be able to do various effects Run the battlefield, either harm, harm enemies, help out mm. friends, but manipulate that. So, if you want a class that can be able to do a bird's eye view of the situation, that is a good class to grab. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, it's always been a matter of trying to be the fixer. Um, like anytime there's a problem, you can either solve it with brute force or you can um, look to the wizard and see if they have some kind of a, a, a different approach to it. And mm-hmm. I've always uh, very much enjoyed trying to find like some weird spell that might not immediately seem useful, but then turn it into something useful or just find some odd trick that might um, resolve the, the situation. Uh, so just having that kind of toolbox uh, at your disposal is always really neat. 
Um, and there's always there's also always the uh, situation where, like a cleric, you need a cleric in a group to heal and and to remove all the bad stuff. You need a wizard to do all the stuff you would expect a wizard to do. Which in the modern game is like wizards teleport you places. Wizards can help you take large amounts of loot, or they can you know um, make sure that you're not going to be um, caught off guard if if they set alarms and so on, or, or mm. and so forth, or dispel magic barriers and so on. So it's it's almost kind of built into the game where you can make it without a wizard and you can make it without a cleric, but it's definitely more difficult to do so without either or. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm thinking about my my own group where we have no clerics and no wizards, but we have one bard <laughs> who kind of fills both roles, right? So, right. Yeah. Tracy, you're gonna say them. Uh, and kind of along the lines of having that toolbox and everything, there's a can be a fair bit of complexity in playing wizard because you do have to prepare your spells for the day, pick them. Uh, you often have a fair amount of to choose from, and a lot of that depends on your DM. There also can be kind of a high risk, high reward, depending, mm. uh, because um, like wizards, some of the spells require concentration and stuff like that. So, and if you break it, then you lose what you were doing. Um, so it leaves you a little bit vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are some of the reasons too. Yeah, yeah, and wizards. I mean, the, wizards have a long history of being the squishy class, right? If if the wizard's getting hit, then something's gone wrong. Now they're a little bit less squishy in fifth edition, right? Because they used to be squishy because their hit points every level was a D four. Um, yes. In fifth edition, it's a D six, which is is a little bit less squishy, um, and so, but they're still like they still are usually relatively weak in in these regards in terms of like if they get up front, then they're in trouble. And it used to be really clear, like when there were in the previous editions, going back to like second and first and OD and D and all that, there was not as much concern about class balance. Um, and so you had this weird thing where the wizard would start off way weaker than everybody else. Like a first level wizard in second edition throws out their daily magic missile and they're done for the day. Like they're finished, Yes. you know, but, but as they start to level up, like the, the party tolerates that from the wizard at the low levels, because they know that when you hit about, you know, seventh, eighth level and you start getting the third level spells and then you get to the, to the mid, you know, early teens and whatever, um, there's, you know, they're picking up fireballs and lightning bolts and that kind of stuff. Like the power level of the wizard increases exponentially at that point. Like, um, anybody can be the first level wizard nobody can beat a 20th level wizard. Like the 20th level wizard beats every other class outright, but you had to have survived mm-hmm. to get there, which is the trick, right? Yes. Uh, that's a little bit less true for fifth edition since there's been more uh, effort made towards having some class balance that no classes is clearly superior at any point in time. Um, but there, even then there's still, um, and, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, Ishmael, um, the wizard has things that are useful and the things that they're useful is the magic-y stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you can kind of get by in a campaign usually in the early levels if you don't have somebody who's really knowledgeable about magic. But when you start getting into like the high level mid teens sort of tier, uh, level of play, um, usually the stories end up re- revolving around somebody's doing some crazy big magic thing, Right. Yes. And and wizards are particularly well known for being good at that because that's how they get magic is they studied and studied and studied. So they know a lot as opposed to like mm-hmm. a sorcerer who might know nothing about magic but can throw out spells. Um, so the wizards still like they they're not more powerful at higher levels, but they seem to be, at least to my experience, way more useful at higher levels in terms of the campaign and the story and what they might know. Yes, I, I would concur. So if you want to play the, the, the classic sort of robes and, and pointy hat and carrying a staff and, and um, is probably smarter than everybody else and may or may not act like it uh, kind of character, I think the wizard fits in well with that as well. So you may not be the know-it-all at low levels, but you'll be, definitely be able to throw it in people's faces later. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good point. Um, and then to, to that kind of end of... Uh just being more useful at later, later levels. It, it does seem to be part of the game where 
they kind of almost make it necessary to have a wizard at later levels, mm. especially if you're fighting other wizards, you want to be able to counterspell like a meteor swarm or what have you. Uh, it, it's kind of, it's sneaky, but it's built in there, it seems. And, and it, you can do it, but it's just harder. It's kind of like, uh, I guess, like a hard mode if you don't, if you yeah, don't do I mean, uh, I don't know that I feel like it's as essential as it used to be. Um, no, and no, you're right. Older, um, older versions of the game, I would say it's essential. Like you will die if you don't have a wizard. Yeah. Uh, if you're playing like OD and D, because so much of the adventure design even is just kind of built around the idea that you're at least going to have a, a balanced party. Now you can do it. You just have to be craftier trickier and and uh, luckier but uh, you can definitely do it whereas before you could not yeah i, I can't think of anything that the wizard can do that th as a role that can't be filled by by somebody of another class like anybody can be well trained in arcana at this point and mm -hmm. if they're intelligence based they know just as much as the wizard does um you know and if i guess if they're a bard maybe more right um right you know, anybody can cast the blasting, or not anybody, but a lot of classes can can throw the the spells around that do all the the the, the battlefield manipulation and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, and several classes can get teleport and get you around to places so you don't have to waste your time with stupid random encounters and all that, right? Um, right. So yeah, I don't think the I think this is about as about the least essential a wizard has ever been. That said, wizards are very useful, right? Because they can do all of those things. Most definitely. So, so let's talk about the, uh, we've kind of been talking around the key sort of feature of, of a wizard, that being spellcasting, right? Um, Tracy mentioned that wizards are a fairly complex class to play. And I think that's absolutely true, but it doesn't look like it when you look at their class features. Like the class features of the wizard are the most simple and straightforward class features in the entire game. They, except, they are, except spell casting, but and they do as much. Uh, you know, they do a lot of spell casting. Like that's their thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where things get real. You know. Every spell is a completely different mechanics that you have to figure out how to use and, and, and what, when to use them and what have you. Mm -hmm. yeah, the wizard seems to has, has the most variety of different types of magic that you yeah. can do. And thus you can really customize. You can actually have in your party two wizards that can be completely different just based on their spells they can, tend to prepare. Yeah, when I was preparing for this, I was looking through the, the schools, of course, the different builds for the wizards, and I'm like, man, you could really pull off like an all-wizard party and probably be just fine. Um, oh, yeah. Because each school, and this is why we're doing a two-part episode on wizards, because each school functions so differently and, and as a result ends up filling different roles in a, in a party. Yeah, and also with the schools, like there, you get benefits sometimes right. uh, when you pick your path like which, which school you're like spells of that school uh, you might get hit points or be able to do x y or z mm -hmm. and so you actually have to remember what school a particular spells from or at least which ones are from the school that you've uh, chosen right yeah so so um we mentioned that that Fifth edition has moved a little bit away from the the old Vansian magic of I memorized this specific spell I cast it now I forgot it. Uh, so who wants to tell us how it's different? I'll go, Eric. The right now the way that, that it goes for a wizard is that you choose a certain number of spells equal to, from your spell book equal to your level plus your intelligence modifier and. Previous, in previous, in previous one, that's your, how you prepare. Previous the editions, you had to, if you wanted to be able to cast two fireballs, you had to choose fireballs twice. Right. Now, you can only choose the fireball once, you have to prepare, and the number of slots you have for casting spells, which can be from third level, or for, for purposes of fireball, maybe third level or higher spell mm -hmm. levels, you can use it to, you can use it to cast so if, if you decide that day you're not going to cast Fireball because you're going to be using it instead to do a slow spell, then 
you still have that flexibility. Over right. There. You didn't waste two slots memorizing Fireball and then ended, ended up accidentally ended up uh, doing a stealth adventure, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you you may have you may have memorized Fireball, but you just used one of your other spells instead in that slot. And on top of that, Fifth Edition adds this extra flexibility in spellcasting that. Oddly enough, I don't think we've talked about, even though this is the last of the classes, uh, in that a lot of the spells you can upgrade by just using a, a higher level slot. So if you're a wizard casting Fireball, you could cast it at using a fifth level slot, and then it does more damage. So it scales, yeah. uh, yeah, which is really nice. 2d8 more, I believe. So yeah, something like that. Uh, but, the, but the idea is that that, that way, like, Okay, well, the only third level spells I memorized today are are um, fireball. That's okay too, because you can cast lower level stuff using those third level slots, and then they oftentimes mm-hmm. scale up and get upgraded because of it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really nice and it's really flexible and it avoids like it still feels like a wizard wizard right. You're still preparing spells, mm-hmm. um, but it's way more flexible to the point that it I feel like it makes wizards a lot more fun to play than it used to. I would agree. And uh, you could even see echoes of it, uh, at least from my knowledge, back to second edition where you had spells, specifically spells like Rary's, sorry, I'm going to butcher this, Rary's Mnemonic Enhancer. Okay, Mm -hmm. I seem to have said it it. okay. That would um, let you rememorize spells on the fly. Mm -hmm. And so they would let you kind of switch out your spell book uh, choices or your, your memorized spells a little bit. Um, because it would be kind of a drag if you were in the middle of an adventure and all of a mm. sudden you had the wrong spells completely and you just needed to to switch a few out. Yeah, sometimes um, they but, play around with those things in, in older editions and then work them in later on, right? Yeah, uh, and it's definitely more of a blast to just be able to pick a pretty decent variety of spells and just be able to play from that tool set. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely a smart thing to do. Yeah. And we talked about wizards having a lot of options and variety of spells. They're not quite, it's not the druid or the cleric where you just have all of the spells available to you uh, to choose from. The wizard has to keep a spell book, right? Mm-hmm. But you can, you know, whatever you can find and afford both the time and money to put into your spell book, you can add to your, add to your spell book. So it's a lot more, um, a lot larger of a library of potential spells than like a sorcerer would have or a bard, right? They, just, they sort of pick their spells and they're stuck with them. Just don't lose it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't lose it. Well, and there's, and there's mechanics for that too, right? You lose it, you know, you can, you can scribe the ones that are already in your head, uh, and then from there you have to sort of rebuild it and, and, and whatever. And, you know, that costs money and, and time to, to rebuild that spell book. And there's, there's uh, a little sidebar that describes, like, this is why a lot of wizards keep a backup spellbook in a secure place. <laughs> and this is how you can, uh, what it costs in terms of time and money to, to scribe a backup spellbook and that kind of stuff. So they thought through some of those things, right? Yeah. A Liam in Secret Chest is my favorite spell for that reason. Oh, is that what you, yeah. Because <laughs> just stick your That's extra one in there, you'll always have it. It's like, the, it's like the, the Green Lanterns keeping their battery in a pocket dimension. Yes. There you go. I may have gone a whole different level of geek there, but it's <laughs> a very good useful. Um, one of the other things that um, that sort of was toyed with in previous editions and has evolved into fifth edition is towards the end of third edition, there were some optional books that were toying with the ideas of of magic users just having certain spells they could do all day long at will. Uh, it, it honestly, it was it was the beginning of them sort of playing with the idea of at will encounter and daily powers that then turned into the like core mechanic of, of fourth edition, um, and now in in fifth edition, wizards still have that ability to just sort of take some low power spells that they can just cast all day called cantrips. They're like zero level spells, um, essentially now, and and they're they're relatively weak. But it's it's avoiding the old um, problem of well, I'm a first level wizard. I cast my magic missile for the day. I guess I'm done. Let me get out my crossbow and fail horribly at shooting things. Um, <laughs> you know, now it's like well, I'm a first level wizard. I cast my magic missile, but that's cool because I can throw out thunder wave all day long. So you've always well, got something well, to do, so. and it's always something magical you can do. So you always feel like a wizard. And the probably my favorite thing about spellcasters in fifth edition is that the cantrips uh, they they scale, 
And so mm -hmm. you might start off with Shocking Grasp at level 1 doing 1d8, but by the time you're, I think it was 15th, 17th level, I yeah. can't remember, um, it scales up to do like 4d8. And all of a sudden you're doing, um, you know, a, a decent amount of damage, even if you're completely out of spells. And yeah. that, I think that's really cool. Um, the, the spells it, work really well in terms of the scaling so that you never end up with, with a spell that you feel like is never going to do anything for you. Correct. So that's sort of the core mechanic of the wizard. Now, there's some other uh, sort of things that they, they get along the way, right? Arcane recovery, spell mastery, and signature spells, which, which all basically are ways of, hey, you're out of spells? Well, here's a way to get some back. Or here's a way to, you know, uh, was it spell mastery? Pick a couple of first and second level spells, and you can just sort of cast those at will. Uh, signature spells is very similar, but but a little bit less so because they didn't want to go too crazy because you can do that with like fireball. Another thing that's yes. different for the, the spell book than other, than other class is how the wizards do rituals. Yes, that's a good point. Because other classes, you have to prepare the ritual to be able to not use a slot, but for a wizard, it just has to be in the main book. You don't need to prepare the spell, so you can have all your, your rituals in your spell book, you know them and you can cast them whenever you wish. Right. So just by the 10 minutes. And I find that a lot of times that means that the, the wizard never needs to memorize, identify. They just need to have it in their book so that when somebody yes. finds a magic item, they can just do the ritual, identify, figure out what it is and move on. It is so nice. Yeah. It's so cool just and to be able to be like, no, I have this, this, these things that aren't going to take up space on my prepared list, but I can still use. And Identify doesn't even have the, the ex expensive uh, component cost anymore, does it? I think you have to have a pearl that's worth 100 gold. But it doesn't consume. It, it isn't consumed, yes. Yeah, it used to be like every time you cast Identify, you, you, killed, you killed 100 gold. <laughs> yes. So other than that, the main feature of the, the wizard, uh, the next major feature of the wizard is the, the selection of a school, like an arcane tradition that you follow. Now, the schools of magic have go back to the, the golden days of D&D. &D. Um, as you, I think you, somebody described it in the, the second edition days, they were the specialty. There was the specialist wizards where you could be specialized in this kind of magic and whatever. And, and that was always like, a tricky decision to make uh, I found back in that day because there were opposing schools. So like if you chose mm -hmm. to specialize in one school of magic, then you got, you had no access to the spells from the opposing school. And as a result, you got what a few extra spells or something uh, in your school. Um, the, the differentiation between the schools of magic wasn't to me compelling enough uh, unless you're just going to make a, an evoker because you like to blast things and blow things up. Right. Um, whereas now you choose your school of magic, um, and you don't lose the opposing school, you get a whole new set of class features that, that really flavor your wizard to really feel like they're part of that school. Cause they're doing more of the things that that school is supposed to be about. It's not just now you're even better at these spells, although there's some of that too. Um, it's about like when you do these spells, there's extra cool things that you do because you're this thing right so mm -hmm. we're, we're going to talk about the first three today because they all sort of add a, a whole new dimension to the wizard uh so we're going to split them up we're going to talk about the first three which are abjuration uh, yeah abjuration conjuration and divination and then we'll talk about the rest of them uh next month when we get to the rest of the wizard so like and, and when i say like they're the they're much more compelling now um the different schools Abjuration is a really good example of that to me. Like, there has never been an edition of D&D &D where I've thought to myself, yeah, I'd like to play an Abjuration wizard. Honestly, I'm not even entirely sure I ever had a real strong grasp of what an Abjuration wizard was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it just wasn't important to me. Like, I, don't, I didn't care. Uh, I was never going to be one. Um, and yet, when I went through the, the Schools of Magic this time... This is where I'm like, oh, I want to play that wizard. Oh, no, I want to play that kind of wizard, right? Because <laughs> they really feel different. The abjuration wizard is, is the protection wizard, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. The one who banishes stuff, puts up shields. Uh, 
make sure that stuff doesn't happen to the group or themselves. Yeah, it's counterspell. It's dispel magic. It's it's you know shielding spells. Yeah, it's all that kind of stuff. And they're sort of um, like they all have sort of this savant power, which just makes it cheaper and easier for them to get spells from their school. All yes. right, that's fine. And they all have that, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it. But where, I feel like what where the uh, abjuration wizard, uh, the abjurer, um, uh, their class feature is what they kind of do basically is they give the abjurer a, a, a sort of force field all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a little force field that they can use using their double their level plus intelligence modifier hit points that they always have access after they cast their first abjuration spell. Yeah. So every time they cast an abjuration spell, they get... Um, double their wizard level plus intelligence modifier sort of force field. Uh, and it can't go above sort of that limit, I don't think, can it? No, basically it goes up to that. Yeah. And if it gets to zero, then next time they cast an abjuration spell, they just get... It just recharges it. Why? Yeah, it recharges the hit points up to twice the hit point of the spell level that they just cast. Oh, yeah, yeah, there it goes. So, so yeah, so, like, like even when you... Um, even when you run out of your force field that you throw up every single day, which is basically just free bonus uh, hit points or temporary hit points every day, right? That yeah. don't that don't expire until the end of the day. Um, then even when it's gone, the technically the force field is still there. It's just not functioning anymore. So the next time you cast spells, abjuration spells, it sort of recharges it, which really encourages the abjurer to to use those abjuration spells. Yeah, which is a really cool mechanic in and of itself. Uh, I think up until this edition, there never was any kind of reinforcement in the the class abilities of a of a wizard or really any other character class. So to like really be on theme like this, yeah. No, and then by sixth level, they can sort of take their force field and use it to protect other people, and so they kind of become a low level sort of defender. If you go back to fourth edition days, right? Yeah. They have a minor in being of the defender role of helping them, protecting people, making sure that folks folks don't get hurt when they're successful. So basically, abjurers can get a more, that's not quite center stage in combat, but closer than most wizards tend to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and by 14th level, I feel like they, that's where they get a really killer ability um, it, to, to a point that, like, 14th level is not actually that horribly high of a level for the, the ability they get. The spell resistance ability, where they basically have advantage on all saving throws against spells and resistance to all spell damage. Like, I have a party of 14th level characters in my campaign right now, and when they run into the occasional, like, demon lord that has that ability it 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 pisses them off you know <laughs> so the idea that that a character could pick that up uh, by 14th level is is nothing to, to sneeze at you know it's very potent yeah yeah and at 10th level just to go back a bit they get the uh if they do a abjuration spell make an ability check they get to add their propensity bonus to that ability check. So when they're doing counter spell, the spell magic, mm -hmm. they get to add the, that uh, plus four to plus six. So if they want to throw out that single most uh, obnoxious, annoying uh, spell in D&D, &D, counter spell, um, they, they're even better at it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was going to do this cool thing and now you made it not happen. That sucks. Yeah. I literally had uh, players counterspelling uh, like power word kill from Orcus at one point. Successfully. <laughs> so. Good on and them. This, just, this makes it even easier to do. And so. then, it's, yeah, Abjurer would do it even easier. <laughs> uh, so that's Abjuration. Tracy, any thoughts on Abjuration? Nope. You've been quiet. <laughs> <laughs> we make it hard for you to get a word in edgewise. Uh, next up is the Conjuration School. So, Tracy, why don't you tell us what Conjuration is all about? Uh, it is about conjuring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can produce objects and creatures out of thin air. One of the main things about it is 
you can conjure an animate object starting at second level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, re- it's really this sort of, um, like, I can reach into other realities and pull things out of it sort of thing, right? Right. And that's a distinction I had to make in order to to jive conjuration with their six level power, which, again, is like, in my mind, clearly their best ability. Right. So, because in because that's the one where where it's not about pulling something out of thin air; it's about teleporting. Correct. Uh, but yeah. if you, but if you're thinking about like, well, this is their shtick, right? They're going into different realities and, and whatever. Then it makes sense they could sort of jump through another reality and be somewhere else. Right, and and also just like with those objects, like it's a little unclear. Like, does the object actually come from somewhere, mm-hmm. um, or do you create it out of thin air? Like, it, you'd have to know what it looks like. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, if you wanted to be that wizard that always has the right tool for the job, right? The conjuration wizard can totally pull that off because they can create anything that's three foot by three foot and weighs no more than 10 pounds just out of thin air, basically at will as an action, right? Oh, you need rope? Here's some rope, you know? I've always wondered if, because I have a conjuration wizard, um, and I've always wondered if my dungeon master would allow me to make a key because that just almost seems a little bit too too good to be true. I mean, you you, just... you'd have to know what the right key looks like. Mm-hmm. Right? So but let's say you were a locksmith. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a ton of like I could even see like playing the sort of uh, schmoozy sort of wizard that that goes into the tavern and and produces a bouquet of flowers from behind their back, you know, out of, you know, pulls off that kind of stuff because the conjuration wizard can do that. Anything that they want to have, like you, you have like stories of, of people using magic where they can just pull whatever they need out of thin air. And it's like, yeah, but what, did they really just have that sitting in their pocket or do they, you know, whatever. Right. Well, this, this is the explanation. This is, they were clearly conjuration wizards that could just pull whatever they wanted uh, out of thin air. You just gave me an idea for a new character. Oh, I, I, I'm full of ideas as I read these things. Every episode, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really into this thing. Oh, my gosh, I want to make this thing, right? Now, next time I get to play a character, I don't know what the heck I'm going to make because I've loved everything that we've talked about so far. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, go the ahead. Conjurer is the guy who grabs the stuff from elsewhere and also summons creatures and beasts. You know that. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what the conjuration spells tend to focus on a lot of times is summoning things. And that's what the 10th and 14th level spells make them better at, right? Uh, 10th level, uh, it's easier for them to to not lose their concentration. And 14th level, uh, the things that they summon get extra temporary hit points and makes them a little tougher. Um, You know, but to me, that that sixth level ability of basically I can teleport as an action at will. Um, is pretty awesome, especially because you can also use it to swap places with people. And, and I say at will, but it's what, once per rest or something? Once, once per long rest. Once per long rest. So once a day, you can just teleport somewhere and possibly just switch places with, with somebody if you if they want to. Oh, Which, sorry. Once you, once you finish a long rest or you cast a conjuration spell. First ah, so you get it back every time you cast a conjuration spell, which theoretically you should be doing a lot of, right? Yes. Yes. So that's actually even more awesome. Uh, the, yeah, that benign transpo- trans- transposition uh, six-level ability is like the killer feature to me. Like the 14th level one was for, for the Abjurer. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, conjur- a Conjurer? Let me see. Because um, we, we, did we go over their other uh, abilities to... I mean, we basically uh, talked about it, right? The, the last two are, are make them better at summoning things, right? Con- yeah, which concentration pretty, and temporary hit points. It's really weird. and In fact, that's what I was trying to remember. Because um, I'm playing a Conjuration Wizard and I'm looking at my spell list. I There's not that many things to summon as a wizard. Like, you have to mm-hmm. wait until you're way further ahead mm-hmm. as a wizard than even these abilities, really, to, to start summoning some really cool stuff. Unless you want to go evil and summon devils, and that, that never ends up turning out very well. Yeah, you know. I mean, there was so so. I I feel like some of that is like well, and then I guess it makes sense then that um, the extra boost to your summons doesn't come until higher levels because that's when you're getting Correct. those abilities, uh, and you can still kind of build up to it in, in a thematic way, in a narrative way that makes sense. 
I think. So, so it still works. Um, but yeah, it's not, you're not playing like the third edition conjurers where like you would just flood the battlefield full of, you know, whatever it is. Summon monster one through nine. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I kind because, of miss that a little bit. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I can also see entirely why it was okay to get rid of that. So. No, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I just, yeah. I think a, a couple of more choices uh, would be nicer, but that's just, that's my personal preference. Yeah. Well, you never know what might be published down the line, right? I'm 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 waiting with bated breath. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so divination, uh, Ishmael, tell us about divination. Yeah, divination, as the name would imply, is about uh, knowing things that you otherwise wouldn't know. Whether that's looking into the future, um, looking into a place that's far away, or uh, even contacting. Uh, beings from other planes and asking them questions uh and uh that's what the school of divination helps you do it, it helps you be a better um diviner um i think other uh iterations of of D and so on have had uh the spellcasters that work kind of like oracles and this would be the kind of um path you would take if you wanted to be something like an oracle or or uh you know a diviner if you will yeah, I think so. Now, their really sort of key uh, ability here is this this idea of portent, right? Um, they get their sort of really interesting thing right away, right at second level, where at the beginning of every day, after they've had a long rest, you roll 2d20, and you just sort of hang on to those dice, and you can use those dice to replace other roles or to, to be the role for things later on, either for yourself or for uh, an enemy, uh, because, you know, you've seen the future and this is, this is the result is these two dice rolls. Uh, and I think that's a really cool concept, right? To, to be able to manipulate fate like that. And then by what is it? 14th level, they get the greater portent, which means now they're doing 3d20. So you rolled something really high. Well, that's going to be something when I really need a, a, a saving throw, or when I really need to have a, a hit on, on this spell, this is when I'm going to pull it off. Right. Or you can even replace someone else's uh, roll with something really low if you wanted to, right. if you wanted to be a jerk. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, but it doesn't have to be an ally, right? So, Hey, Correct. I'm about to drop, and the the owl bear is about to to tear my face off. No, it rolled a three, <laughs> right? I, I feel like uh, I kind of feel like I want to make what is it a, a halfling uh, diviner with, oh with with the luck feet, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just gonna be no, no, no. I'm just gonna tell everybody to re-roll stuff constantly. That's just what I'm gonna do now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's my well, life I, now. Yep. I think- you can even take like a halfling feat that lets you use your halfling luck on other people as well. So you can just start doing all kinds of things. Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can have with the wizard, with a diviner, if you have a 20 and your archer really, you really need to make that hit, you can say, hey, look, you have a 20 for this roll. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder. Uh, on the halfling luck, you can basically re-roll a one. Is that right? Yes. So if I rolled a one on my portent, can I re-roll it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, technically, it's not it's not necessarily an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. I'm looking at the halfling luck uh, ability here, um, so oh, I'm, I'm no, not sure it would it would it would technically work and honestly i don't know that you want to reroll a one because you can apply it to an enemy and you know that a one's going to miss right ones are just as useful as 20s the the thing that sucks on on a portent roll is when you get like a 12 because you don't know if it's going to do you any good yeah i mean i guess there's there's differing uh like it's i'm sure it's just the 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 um drama of it when you have that portent roll and you want to get something good. Uh, and I'm sure like that's the moment where people are paying attention and then yeah. you, you bring it out later and then it's it's kind of a dramatic moment. Well, and where portent is a little less useful is that it's not actually a re-roll. You have to decide before the dice are rolled that you're going to use the portent die instead. 
So it's not like mm-hmm. I rolled a five. Oh, let me replace it with this 12. It's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to roll. Do I really want to risk using the, using the 12 here? Cause I really need something higher than that. You know? Well, it's more of, I'm going to use it for this roll. I'm going to use one of my dice for this roll. They roll. Then you can decide if you're actually going to make the change or not. Oh, okay. Because so before the roll, and you can replace a roll in this way. Uh, so you can choose. So either way, you've lost the. So I guess, I guess, yeah. So I could say I, I, I kind of need this roll to do well. I'm going to use the twelve here. If I rolled lower than a twelve, then I use the twelve. If I rolled higher than a twelve, then I don't use it. I use whatever I roll. Oh, that's right? interesting. That's a good point. But you, but either way, you use the twelve. You can't use it for anything else. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense, and and that works. That's a little more flexible. I like that. Um, their other two uh, abilities are expert divination and third eye. Um, what does expert divination do? It gives you extra slots each time you cast a divination spell. You get to restore a, a low, spell slot. Yeah, a low, low level spell level. slot. Pardon? A low level spell slot. Yeah, a lower level spell slot than the one you use for yeah. divination spell. Yeah. So it's I any kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, so if I cast a second level divination spell, then I get a first level spell slot back. Mm-hmm. So, so it, d- divination wizards are able to cast more spells than than typical wizards as well. See, like there's no there's no bad so far anyway. There's no bad school of magic anymore, right? Yeah. It's amazing and to me. One thing that's also interesting: most many of the divination school spells are actually rituals. So on top of what you have prepared, mm. you can, if you have lot, you can do it quickly and get lots of spells back by, with the expert divination. But also if you have time on your hands, if you don't have the crunch, you can do it as a ritual and take mm-hmm. your 10 minutes or more to cast a spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. We got, a, we got a couple hours to kill. We've used a lot of our spells. I'm just going to hang out here and cast a bunch of ritual divinations. I'm not really looking at anything, you know, just the sunset. <laughs> you know, it, but but I got all my it, spells back. It does specify when you cast using a spell slot. So oh, so it does have to be a spell slot. Well, yeah, it has to be a spell slot for purposes of for that of regaining spells. Correct. But, but for purposes of overall casting okay. more spells, the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of them are rituals already. Or rituals already. Odds are you're going to have lots of, of the divination spells in your spell book which means lots of them will probably rituals. Right? Okay. So you can't use the, the ritual to recover your spell slots using mm-hmm. the expert divination, but you've already got a lot of things that you're doing as rituals anyway. Yeah. Very good. And then I also was really interested in that third eye ability, that 10th level ability I thought was really cool. Tracy, why don't you tell us about it? Oh, sure. After I close my book. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing you got to talk about before we're done. Can you find it? Uh, I will in a moment. Okay. Uh, you're going to talk about something else? I think that's the um, last thing we haven't talked about. Or does the actually, I was, I was going to bring something up. It's it, with that portent ability. Yes. Um, I didn't even realize it, but I I do uh, a club for the middle school kids at the school that I work. Uh, much like you do, I think still, right? I used to. Uh, I'm not gotcha. at school anymore because I'm finishing my dissertation. But yeah, that's right. But um, I actually have this purple dice because that's one of our school colors. And I say, if they help each other out, then you can have this dice and roll it. And then you can keep that roll for something else, uh, which they've been having a blast. None of them have used any of that yet. They're just holding <laughs> on to it because that's how they are. But uh-huh. it's really funny. Like, I didn't realize that it, that's that was the mechanic I was kind of drawing there on. There you go, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm really eager to see when they're going to be like, no, I want to use this 20 because I had this kid who rolled, of course, two 20s in a row with that <laughs> purple dice and now he's just got two critical hits or whatever that he's just going to pull out uh when i least expect sometimes just drop the the big baddie in in two rounds right <laughs> yeah yes tracy ready to tell us about the last of the divination powers third eye yeah so uh it starts at 10th level and you basically get to pick one of four benefits and it lasts until you're incapacitated or take a short uh, or a long rest, and the four benefits are you can get dark vision out to 60 feet, at ethereal sight, which means you can see into the ethereal plane within 60 feet of you, greater comprehension, you can read any language, 
uh, and see invisibility. You can see invisible creatures and objects within 10 feet of you, which are in line of sight. Yeah, which I think I, I really like those sort of uh, those sort of utility abilities, right? I think that's a really useful and interesting one. Um, it does kind of suck, I guess, that you lose it as soon as you take a short rest. So I guess it, it really discourages the five-minute workday. But, you know, sometimes people got to use some hit dice, right? So, <laughs> um, But it would be really useful to say, hey, we're going to go up against this thing, into this dungeon. Rumor has it there's some imps around. I better turn on sea invisibility. Um, right. You know, that kind and of you stuff. can use it again after you finish yeah. the rest. So while you're resting you are vulnerable. Oh, yes, because it does say a rest, not a long rest. So I guess, yeah. It's it's just a fancy way of saying, hey, you, at each rest, you can choose a new thing. That's true. You can you can reset it. Hey, we, we got through the invisibility things, but rumor has it, you know, this thing goes ethereal or we've run into this this script that nobody can figure out what the clue is to, to complete the puzzle. Let's take a short rest and I'll learn greater comprehension. Right. So. And I think... It just in the, in particular, uh, the third eye reminds me. Um, wizards uh, have complexity for can have complexity for players, but also can add interesting complexity to dungeon masters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like for instance, if you were suddenly having a dungeon where invisible, like the fact that the creatures were invisible was like the huge thing. I know it's only ten feet, so, um, but. Because they have that big tool belt of things that they can do, uh, if you're you're thinking that a particular challenge is what's going to be interesting to the players, they might be able to sidestep it mm-hmm. if they have like particularly if they have a wizard. You better know real well sort of what they have available to them and and what they're likely to pull out. You know, um, if if you've got a situation where it's really important for this villain to escape in this combat and you've got a a, a spell prepared just for that instance, right, a, a short range teleport or whatever to get them to the to the other side of the castle, um, watch out because they're going to throw out a counter spell and, and then it's done and, and you you're, all your plans are gone, <laughs> right? Uh, so you, you, wizards, because they have so many options available to them, uh, as a DM, you do kind of have to be ready to roll with whatever happens. That's a good point. So we've chatted a lot, and rather than going through sort of tips and whatever for playing wizards, because we're already at an hour and we're only three schools in, um, and here, you know, it's a good thing we decided to do a two-part episode. <laughs> Um, last thoughts on the wizard or at least on what we've talked about for the wizard so far. Well, a general advice I would say for people that is when you're choosing your spells, I would focus on doing a variety of different types of spells. That way you can have a tool set available to you. One thing to be careful for wizards for spells is those concentration spells because you can only have one concentration spell active so if you have one active you should have other spells that can be instantaneous casting that way you can keep your concentration while still be able to do something hmm. other last thoughts um, Ishmael? i would say yeah i would say that uh you know especially as as a as a dm or even as a player, like don't be afraid if you're if you're new to the game, or if you're a little bit afraid to play a wizard because you feel like you won't do it right. Um, look at those NPCs in the monster manual or in the basic rules, uh, the mage and the archmage, um, and th- they have a pretty good spell list that is pretty versatile. So you don't mm. have to feel like you have to learn all the spells, but look at those lists as kind of a guideline. Like get these spells; these are the ones that are going to help you in most situations. Uh, and kind of build your knowledge base from there, because uh, um, like in most editions of D and D, the the spells take up a giant chunk of the book, and and trying to learn them all um, is daunting, uh, mm-hmm. and and it it has been for me in the past, and and still in a way is. So don't feel like you have to learn all of the spells; just learn your spells, and and try and be as good of a wizard as you can with what you've got. Well, and that's one of the like a lot of classes, right? They sort of build with time. Uh, mm-hmm. Your spell book is fairly limited when you start at first level. You've got like what six spells um, and mm-hmm. a, and a handful of cantrips, um, 
And so as you add, you're adding slowly, relatively slowly, to the point that you're usually adding a couple spells maybe at most each session. Um, so it gives you some time to sort of learn and figure things out. It also, as a DM, it adds an interesting new form of loot. Uh, because now the enemy spell books suddenly matter because you've got a wizard in the party and they want to learn those spells. Which also means if they're like doing nothing but throwing fireball all the time... Uh, I can throw a spell book at them that has a bunch of spells they never even thought about taking, right? Uh, and get yeah. them to, to look outside of their box. That's always my first question when we run into a magic user. Do they have a spell book? Because yeah. if they do... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, um, I have never once even considered uh, an abjurer or a diviner as a viable, interesting PC specialization in previous editions. Um, like they were great for NPCs when you needed the Oracle or whatever. Right. Um, but this is the first time that I've looked at these, these schools of magic and thought, yeah, I, I really want to do like any of these or all of these. Like I've got a character in my head for every single one of these now that I want to put together. So uh, I think they've done a bang-up job, and I guess we'll see uh, next month whether or not they, they keep it up through all the schools. But so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And then my, my thought about last thought about the wizard is that uh, I feel like if you're a player who likes to have um, props, I'm not saying, like, get a wand or anything, but you could have uh, particularly paper crafts that help you keep track of yourself. Like, you could just have a mm. spell book or... Um, any trackers that you need to keep track of uh, how many spell slots you have available and stuff like that with you at the table. Yeah, you're not talking like props like that look like the you know our theater or whatever props, but I've even had um, I've had wizards in my campaigns where the the person just has uh, one of those binders with the the card sleeves in them, right? Do that. And then they buy the sp- then they buy the spell cards. Um, that I think Gale Force 9 sells, and then you can just sort of, oh, I don't have to have all the cards. I can just build my literal spell book made out of these cards and have a quick reference, mm-hmm. and I don't need to go to the book, whatever, I, and I've only got the spells that I know, that are in my book or that I know. Uh, you know, I can get out a, a dry erase marker and put a big M on the ones that I've memorized for the day or whatever. Um, it, it, it's a pretty sweet little system if you want to, and you, if you want to get into some accessories that wizards allow you to do. Cool. Then I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to our guests. Uh, Ishmael, where can people find you? Yes, I am at uh, Elvin Wizard King on Twitter. and That's where I spend most of my time these days. So just uh, shoot me a tweet. Is that part of the reason you had to be on the Wizard episode? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you, you are the Elvin Wizard King, right? I am the Elvin Wizard King. I, and I actually got to play as an Elvin Wizard King there totally by fiat. I was defaulted as the the king of the elven nation. <laughs> and Eric, where can people find you? They can usually find me on Twitter at Eric M. Pack, or E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. That's where most of them are that. Sometimes I talk about my my wizard Ellie where I'm playing in a game. She's currently level 13. So. Awesome. And we'd also like to say thank you to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild or for being a patron of the show at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. If you want to get a hold of us, we are available at the Tome Show at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to Tracy. She is at Sarah Dark Magic on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And uh, we also have at the Tome Show, which uh, I also run that, but um, I you know tweet more official show stuff most of the time there. So, in this episode three hundred and nine, where we spent hours and hours reading a book to learn reality-altering spells, thus proving the adage that knowledge is power. In this episode of the Tome, you don't dress up to play D and unless you want to. Like me, you don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and unless you want to. Like me, you don't think we fancy? Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, road, catch a kick your ass. You don't think we street? Look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard? Just touch my face. You don't think we can get it?
D to the R to the A and S D and D The dungeon master sets up a scenario Then he or she asks Where would you like to go? We talk as a group Then decide together There's no winning, yo We could play forever Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me I'm on the wall